in the sixth grade or younger, you're welcome at this time to go to the children's services downstairs. And I'd like the rest of you to open your Bibles with me to Romans chapter 12. Your Bibles to Romans chapter 12. You found there, uh, found the place we're going to read from verses 6 through 8, and then I'd like to lead us in a word of prayer. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us each exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith, if service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Father, as we come this morning to your word, I want to ask that you open the scriptures to our hearts, that you teach us concerning your ministry among us by the Holy Spirit in the manifestation of his presence through gifts that he has given to the members of the body. And Father, I also want to just take this moment to lift... um, Bill to you, Monica's dad, and to hold him up. Lord, to give him spiritual perception and awareness that he is not fighting against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers and spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realm. And to know, Lord, that he can stand in Jesus Christ. Greater is He, you, O God, that is in Him than that evil one in the world. That when the enemy comes in like a flood, you will raise up a standard, a a wall against him. That you are able to keep, Bill. That you are able to triumph in the greatest moments of trial and pressure. We thank you for his open testimony of faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in our small group on Thursday. The awareness that he has you in his life. We ask you to fortify him with the power of your spirit to resist the evil forces that seek to undo him. And we pray, Father, for Ryan and Monica in their ministry to him and the opportunities that have opened up for them and in this good news that a child is on the way. And ask you to overshadow and bless and protect and nurture. We lift this family to you in the name of the Lord Jesus and ask your blessing. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. If you do not have one of these study guides, would you raise your hand? We want to give you one. Make sure you have them today. Um, Just hold it up there till you get the study guide put in your hand. Because there is a lot of information in here, and whether you're in a small group or not, 
this is for you to take home and to study and to uh, read and pray over and seek to understand God's ministry in your life. Uh, inside of it, you'll notice the outside is the same outline that we had two weeks ago because I'm working my way through it. It uh, is at least a three-weeker, maybe a four. And then inside of it, there are two sheets of paper. One looks like a table. I just want you to take and set that aside for a moment. The other one has two different printings. One side says, what is your spiritual gift? I want you to take that home and pray about it as you read through it and ask God, if you don't know, to show you what your giftedness is. The back side of it is some basic principles of all spiritual gifts. And that's the one I want you to look at first with me today. Basic principles of all spiritual gifts. For those of you just joining us, we have been studying the book of Romans together for quite a while now. And we finally landed in chapter 12. And chapter 12 is where the very practical application of all the teaching begins to be explained. How do you live the Christian life? And we're looking specifically now at the fact that we're all members of the body of Christ, and as members of the body, God has given to us certain abilities that are supernatural in their origin because they're the very presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives as He lives through us to serve the body of Christ, the Holy Spirit ministering to the church through its members. And no one of us is adequate by ourselves to manifest all of God's character. But when we come together in the church family, filled with the Spirit of God and empowered by Him, all the facets and beauty of Jesus are seen in the body by that which every member contributes, each one his individual part. So my first point in understanding the principles of all spiritual gifts is that they are supernatural. We went over this a couple weeks ago, but it bears repeating. Spiritual gifts are supernatural gifts. Some people want to separate them, and and uh, they say, well, there are those gifts in Corinthians like... Um, healing and miracles and tongues and interpretation of tongues, those are supernatural sign gifts. And then, you know, the rest are, well, whatever. Well, no, they're all supernatural. They're all the, the manifestation of the Spirit of God. They're His empowerment. And so they have, as their source of energy and supply, the Holy Spirit. Every one of them. And uh, for this reason, they're called spiritual gifts. Charismata. Perhaps some of you recognize when I say that word that it is related to the word charismatic. And charismatic is uh, what a word that we use to describe a second wave of Pentecostal outpouring in the late 60s and early 70s. We call it the charismatic movement. All we mean is there was a revival of awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit and the manifestation of spiritual gifts. Not the first time it's happened in the church. Probably won't be the last. 
And uh, we who are in the Christian Missionary Alliance, at least uh, those of us who have our roots that go back deep, have always believed that God is the same, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and that whatever He's ever done, He's still doing and will do until He comes again and changes the agenda. So we have the charismata, the giftedness. I'm only going to talk about eight of those gifts this morning, and then next week I'm going to talk about uh, nine of them, or less, and we may may get a four-weeker, but anyway, uh, we're only going to look at eight of them. But let's talk about some of the generalizations of all spiritual gifts. The second thing I want to point out, and, and I'll tell you very honestly, you have to go home and study this. This is one of those sermons, okay, that I cannot tell you in 40 minutes or an hour... I cannot tell you everything you really need to know, but if you will go home and take the Scripture passages I've given you and study them, you will find biblical support for everything I'm saying this morning. And most especially, you will find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. You'll also find some in chapter 14, but most of what I'm telling you, you can find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So, the second thing I want to point out and underscore is that every single person in the body of Christ has at least one spiritual gift that they received the day they were born again, and they will have until the day they go to see Jesus. That is their resident gift. It is the gift that God has given that is their particular and specific role in the body from day one until we see Jesus Christ. And the reason I emphasize that is because some people were confused about how spiritual gifts come and go. Well, at least one of them landed on you when, when the Holy Spirit baptized you into the body of Christ. And it'll stay with you until you go see Him. Now, some people say, well, how come it is that I only became aware of my gift when I was filled with the Holy Spirit. Or why is it that some people, when they're filled with the Spirit of God, seem to manifest spiritual gifts more pronounced and more abundantly? And the reason is that, you know what it takes for your gift to be fully in operation? It takes yieldedness to God and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. So, it stands to reason that even though the Holy Spirit puts you in the body the day you were born again and gave you a specific role to play, you may not know what that is until you come to that place in your spiritual walk where you say, God, I cannot live this Christian life in my own strength. I can't do this my own way. I've been running around trying to to serve you with all the knowledge I have and it's not working and I want to yield to you. I want you to, to, to take over my life and fill me with your Spirit and just work through me. And that's very often the time when those gifts rise to prominence and become very obvious and very evident is when a person has that crisis moment and is filled with the Spirit of God and that spiritual fullness overflows in the service. But the, the resident gift comes the day that you're saved, because the Holy Spirit puts you into the body of Christ and gives you a gift. Now read that when you get home in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, those first 11 verses. 
Another thing I want to touch on this morning is what the gifts of the Spirit are not. And I, I want to preface this by saying I don't like normally to name names and, uh, you know, and kind of go on the attack. I don't think that's always fair or appropriate, but sometimes when a person has been widely read and, and uh, their teaching has been appreciated um, and, and you all have exposure and they're wrong, <laughs> you need to point that out. And uh, I want to uh, pick on a, a dear brother in Christ this morning for a moment by the name of Henry Blackaby. Uh, many of you have read his book and studied it a number of years ago, Experiencing God, I think at one point or another. Probably half of our congregation went through that book in one Bible study or another. And uh, there are other books by Henry Blackaby that we've studied. And more recently, one of the ladies' Bible studies is using a book by Henry Blackaby on the fullness of the Spirit and spiritual giftedness. And I just want to tell you that there are some things in there that I think are misleading because I don't think they're biblically supported. Apparently, one of the things that Blackaby says is that the, the gift, the spiritual gift, is the Holy Spirit. Well, I just want you to think with me a moment about the sentence structure of what the Bible explains. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, The Holy Spirit gives gifts to individuals just as He wills. Now, the Holy Spirit is giving gifts. He is not the gift. He's the giver. And secondly, what he is giving is not a person, but it's functionality. He's giving the capacity to do something that we could call a function. And so it's, it, this is not a person, this is a functionality. The Holy Spirit is the giver, giving a function to an individual. The Holy Spirit is the gift that Jesus gives to every Christian, okay? Every child of God receives the Holy Spirit from the Father and from the Son. You know, the, the biblical teaching is that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and from the Son and is Jesus' gift to us as His presence in our lives. And then when He comes into our life, He gives us a function a spiritual capacity to do some kind of ministry or work that will bless and enhance and encourage the church. And so he is not the gift. He is the giver of these spiritual gifts. And he gave you one. And again, you have it permanently. Uh, secondly, the gift of the Spirit is not the offices of the church. Many people like to include that list from Ephesians chapter 4 in terms of spiritual gifts. They are, and Jesus Christ gave some as apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastor teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Many people read that list and say, ah, these are gifts of the Spirit. I have the gift of apostleship. I have the gift of evangelism. I have the gift of pastor teacher. I have the gift of prophecy or the gift of prophet." You may have the gift of prophecy, but it doesn't mean you're a prophet. I'll explain that next week because that one's on the list or next week. Just hold that thought. But again, I want to point out, it's very important to look at the sentence structure. Keep your nouns, pronouns, 
and objects and subjects all straight here. Who's the giver in Ephesians 4? Jesus. Not the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus. Jesus is the giver. What is he giving? Functionalities? No, he's giving persons. He's giving people. Apostles. Prophets. Evangelists. Pastor. Teachers. These are people. And he's not giving them to individuals. He's giving them to the whole church. And their role in the church is to equip the saints to show them how to use, guess what, their spiritual gifts. To equip the saints for works of ministry. The reason that Jesus gives his church certain kinds of leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers, is so that they in turn can aid and assist the church, the individuals in the church, learn how to use their spiritual gifts so they can serve the body of Christ. So there is no gift of apostleship. There is no gift of evangelism. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really, if you really want to get, there's a couple verses in Scripture that really push my hot button, okay? This is one of them. Every time I see these people listed in a spiritual gift list, I just go berserk. It just makes me crazy. And one of the reasons is, when you misunderstand the Word of God, you open Pandora's box for error. And once you do that, most people find a loophole that gives them an excuse for disobedience. Do you hear what I said? Most of the time you get off track a little bit, it gives you an excuse for disobedience. And here is a classic example. I cannot tell you over the years how many people have said to me, I don't have the gift of evangelism. And if I'm really feeling very saucy that day, I usually respond by saying, you're right. Because no one has the gift of evangelism. There is no gift of evangelism. No one has it. But people say, when they look at that list of Jesus' gifts of people to his church, they say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, meaning I'm off the hook for witnessing. I don't have to share my faith. That's not my gift. No, you're wrong. It's not your gift because no one has that gift. Everyone, however, is called to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Everyone has a duty to share their faith. Everyone is called to share what Jesus has done for them. No one gets a pass. What you mean when you say I don't have the gift of evangelism is, it's intimidating to me. It's fearful. I don't have the words to say. I get nervous. It really puts me under pressure. Welcome to the club. That's true of everyone. Oh, yeah, every once in a while you get these effervescent, bubbly extroverts and they could talk to anybody about anything. And when they get saved, they just blab about Jesus. That doesn't mean they have some special anointing. It just means that's who they are. But we all have a responsibility to share our testimony of what Jesus has done in our lives. That's what being a witness means. And no one has a special gift for that. Because it's incumbent upon all of us. Just like everyone's expected to pray. Everyone's expected to study and read their Bible. Not just the teachers. Everyone is expected to be a student of the Scriptures. 
Everyone is expected to contribute to the work of the kingdom. These are responsibilities in the life of every Christian. Now, every once in a while, God puts his hand on someone and calls them out and says, I am going to anoint you for the public ministry of evangelism as an evangelist in the body of Christ, and that's going to be what you do with your life predominantly. You're going to to go from place to place as an evangelist in public ministry calling people to faith. And then you have Billy Graham, and you have people like that that step forward. He's the most dramatic and obvious, but there are many others that step forward into those capacities. But every single person is, has an obligation to witness. So Ephesians 4 is not a list of spiritual gifts. There are offices in the church. And thirdly, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but it just bears underscoring, spiritual gifts are not natural aptitudes, skills, or abilities. God may anoint those and use those, employing them in your gift. But in and of themselves, they are not spiritual gifts. Every human being has aptitudes, skills, and abilities. Not every human being is a Christian, and not every human being has a spiritual gift, but all people have these things. So that doesn't make them spiritual gifts. But God may anoint them and use them in conjunction with the gift he gives to enable you to serve the body of Christ in a supernatural way. Now, I've said every single person has one spiritual gift, but you know what? Some people have more than one. In fact, Many people in the church have more than one gift. And sometimes they have what I call a gift blend. The Holy Spirit gives them equipment in several areas that merge together to form a gift blend that that serves them well. For example, God called me to be a pastor teacher. I'm going to use myself this morning a couple of times just because I know me best. But um, God called me to be a pastor teacher. Well, you would expect a pastor teacher to have the gift of teaching, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? But are all teachers pastors? No, they're not. But all pastor teachers had better be teachers. So I, you would expect me to have the gift of teaching, but what other gifts would be necessary in the ministry, the office of pastor teacher? Well, I would hope that exhortation would be present, and, and perhaps leadership and perhaps on occasion some other gifts, maybe word of knowledge or word of wisdom, maybe the discerning of spirits, maybe those kinds of things would come together to form a gift blend in someone who is a pastor teacher because there's more to shepherding the flock of God than just teaching. There are many other teachers in the church, but they're not all pastor teachers. They're gifted teachers. And God, I think, calls out those people to be pastor teachers, and he fills out the office with other gifts. You may have other gifts. Sometimes people with the gift of exhortation also have the gift of mercy. They are able to speak the word of God into someone's lives to build them up and encourage them with a particular sensitivity. Other people have the gift of exhortation, and they could use a little mercy because they just blab whatever comes to their mind and they're not thinking too much about how it's going to land. And so they need some help with that. They need other people. If they don't have the gift of mercy, they need someone that does right beside them so that when they lay somebody out with this word of correction, that person can be there to put their arm around them and say, okay, you know, God's going to work this out in your life. 
Not that exhortation is always bad. I don't mean that. But, but sometimes God gives gift blends. So you may have more than one spiritual gift. So when you go on the quest to find out what yours is, and you say, boy, it looks like there's two or three of them that really kind of fit me. <clears throat> well, okay, that may be the case. The Holy Spirit gives them however he wills. There's no particular corner to one special way. The other thing that may happen, and this lends to some of the confusion, I think, that may be um, present in some of Blackaby's writings and whatever, is that sometimes God will call you to a ministry, and in calling you to that ministry, he will give you a gift at that time for that work. I bring to your mind Timothy. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul is reminding Timothy to stir up the gift that is in him that was given him, when they laid hands on him and prayed for him and set him apart for the ministry to which God had called him, which namely was working with the Apostle Paul in the apostolic capacity of church planting. And Paul said, when we laid hands on you and prayed for you, God gave you a gift for that ministry. And you need to stir it up. Which tells me two things. You can get a gift later on after conversion... And the other thing is, you can let your spiritual gifts wane. You can allow them through disuse to kind of get rusty and fall to the back burner. And you need to stir them up. You need to revive them. You need to get before God and say, God, you gifted me. I haven't been doing what I was supposed to do. I repent of it. I yield myself to you. Now please revive and nurture the gift that you've put within me. Because Timothy had gifts that he allowed to wane. And I don't know what they were. They may have been exhortation. They may have been teaching. But whatever it was, Timothy was sent to Ephesus on behalf of the Apostle Paul to straighten out that wayward church that had elders who had gotten out of line. And it was killing him. Timothy just did not like confrontation. Isn't it amazing that God sometimes puts us in roles that are very uncomfortable in terms of the responsibility, and then he gives us the gifts to do it, but it doesn't change the fact that we don't like it. You know, maybe I have the gift, but boy, I, I don't like the circumstances. And Timothy had to confront elders that were off base and challenge them, and he had to bring correction to the church, and that gave him a lot of grief. It caused him stomach problems. Read the, the letters. You know, Timothy was in turmoil. He was getting ulcers or something. And Paul says, go back to God. Go to the Holy Spirit. Stir up your gift and use it. Remember what God has called you to do. Now, having said that, I still want to say to you that when you're using your gift, it will feel natural to you. When you're doing what God has made you to do, called you to do, and gifted you to do, there will be joy in doing it. There's going to be a sense of this fits. I was made for this. Now, some people confuse the fact that the ministry they're in may be stressful, even though the gift they're using may be joyful. And they say, well, I don't necessarily like the ministry I'm doing. Well, guess what? We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Every one of us fights spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. We battle demonic opposing forces when we're doing the work of God. There's always going to be stress in ministry. 
Not only that, there's going to be stress among people. I, I was reading a, an email letter this morning from uh, from David Thompson, yeah, David Thompson in Bongo Hospital, and uh, he was talking about a new resident surgeon that had come to the field, how good that was. And then with a note of sadness, he said one of their key maintenance people had announced his resignation and was going to be leaving and moving to another province and uh, leaving the work there at Bangalore. And here was the sad part, because there was conflict with another worker in the hospital and it could not get resolved. They were not able to solve it. And he had decided it would be better for him to leave because they couldn't stop fussing with each other. And that made me sad. Because I thought that ought not to be. But you know what? Sometimes it just happens. Sometimes people set their heels in. They don't change. Conflict develops. It makes ministry stressful. It doesn't mean that this man wasn't gifted in what he was doing. It doesn't mean that he didn't have the gift to serve the body of Christ in Mongolia Hospital the way he was doing it. But there was something else going on that had nothing to do with his spiritual gift that made it tough. And now he's giving up and he's leaving the work because of it. And, and I found that to be sad. Sometimes when you're doing what God has called you to do, there is opposition. Don't confuse that with your giftedness. Because when you're actually using your gift, it should be like, that really fits. <clears throat> you know what? I really need somebody to just turn those fans off. We've got a squeaking one down here, and I've endured it as long as I can. <laughs> it's, I've reached my limit. <laughs> I don't even know if there's a spiritual gift for that, but I don't have it, <laughs> whatever it is. Um, thank you. All the way down, click, stop. <laughs> Appreciate that. Okay, good. I wasn't the only one. It was when I started seeing the eyes rolling, and I'm thinking, okay, this has got to go. We've had enough of that. So, what am I saying? Let me, let me use myself again as an example, okay? I have not always found pastoral ministry work easy. You know, I don't go home every day when I get home, say to my wife, Oh, I had a wonderful day today. It was so exciting. So many good things happened. I just could hardly stand it. I want to go back and work another day just like today. You know? Matter of fact, I got home Friday night about 7.30 and I said, Man, what a day. I don't even want to talk about it. You know, it was just, it was just one of those days where one thing after another all day long kind of added up to, <sighs> Let's finish this one and start another one. But I tell you what, every time I stand in front of you and teach the Word of God, I am in my element. Every time I stand up here and proclaim the Word of God, I love what I'm doing. I hope you love it, because I just have so much fun. I enjoy what I do that I'm called to do. I enjoy my giftedness. I enjoy what God has anointed me for. And, and it fits, and there's a couple of areas of my life, when things come together, they just Fit, and I just love it, and I enjoy it, and, and I'm charged up by it. You know, I can come to church feeling feeling ill. As a matter of fact, my sinuses and, and allergies are kicking up this year like they haven't in years. And uh, I took some Benadryl last night before I went to bed quite early because I was I, I just kind of was reaching my limit on that and. Um, I, I want to tell you, narcotics don't work on me very well. I've had surgeries and painkillers don't work on me very well. But if you ever want to abduct me, just give me some Benadryl because it takes me forever to swim out of the fog. You know, it just it just really zaps me. So I took a couple about 8.30 last night and went to bed. And I got up this morning 
finally, an hour and a half after my alarm started ringing, and finally swam to the surface. And I've been in a fog all morning. But when I'm teaching, it's like everything goes away. When I'm, I can come in pain, and when I start to teach, when I start to preach, it's like life comes into me. Because it's the energy of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's what I'm supposed to do. There should be that kind of connectedness with you when you're operating in the realm of your giftedness. By the same token, have you ever been in a class when someone who didn't have the gift of teaching was teaching? You know, and you think, when are they ever going to shut up and sit down? I just can't stand this. And half the class is asleep, and the other half are looking at the squeaking fans. And, and people's attention is just wandering all over because they can't stand it. You've been probably in those situations. One time I had the, the misfortune to be serving with a pastor who, bless his heart, he had a wonderful heart of compassion. He wanted to serve God, and he loved God, and he loved people. And I don't question his motivation, but he could not preach. He could not preach. And every time he would stand up to preach, it was like, can we get through another week? Can we just make it through this, this half hour? Fortunately, he was not long-winded. And so, uh, but it was hard. I don't know how he got where he went. And you know, the sad thing was, about every three years, he was looking for another church because people just, they never told him. They, they, just, they just couldn't deal with it any longer. And something came up and he had to move on. And, and, and his whole life was filled with kind of a melancholy sadness as he went from church to church to church. And, and, and I confess, I didn't either. I mean, I was a young upstart. Maybe that's my excuse. But I confess to say, no one ever looked a man in the eye and said, you know what, you're in the wrong line of work. You need to be somebody's assistant and, and go visit the sick and, and care for people and let somebody else preach because you don't belong in a pulpit. It was not his giftedness. And that happens sometimes. And so you need the confirmation and affirmation of the church body. When you have a gift, other people should know it as well. They should recognize it. They should, they should affirm you in that and say, when you ha if you have the gift of exhortation and you go to someone and you say, Brother, I just want to share my heart with you. I think this is, you know, I think this is what you need in this situation. Let me, let me give you a word of encouragement. Let me give you a word of, of, of chastisement. Let me give you a word of, of, of tenderness and, and whatever. And, and they listen to you and it's like, oh, yes, that's exactly right. That's just what I needed to hear. I had been struggling uh, last, this summer, I'd been struggling about something I needed to write and I just couldn't do it because I couldn't figure out how to, how to put it down on paper. And I struggled and I struggled and I struggled. And, and I was sharing it with a friend at breakfast uh, one, one morning, another pastor, and I was sharing with him my dilemma. And just out of his mouth, he says, well, why don't you do it this way? You know, and he just, he just, and, and it's like instantly, I came back to the office and wrote what I needed to write. Because he had the word of wisdom that I needed to hear. And it exactly unraveled, it unpackaged the problem for me in a way that I needed. And I knew God had spoke to me, you know, had spoken to me through that situation. 
Now, we meet for an hour every Tuesday morning and sit down and visit together and just talk together. And it's not like we come and say, okay, let's exercise our spiritual gifts with one another. It has nothing to do with that. But we're sitting there, and every once in a while, something happens, and God does something. And He speaks. And I know it's God. I know it's not Mike. I mean, I'm thankful Mike's there to, to, to make the sound waves go. But God is doing the speaking. It happens. And you recognize it. This is the Lord. This is the Lord who's ministering to me. So spiritual gifts have those qualities to them. You can read about the rest of it and study it. But not only should you feel like it fits you, other people should affirm. When you're in your your realm of ministry, other people should say, you're doing what God made you to do. Because we're receiving that ministry. Now, if you'll take a few moments as we wrap up here, I want you to look at these eight lists, on the eight gifts on this chart. I'm going to touch on them briefly, but I want to look down the left column. I have provided for you the name of eight of the 17 gifts and their Greek names. And the reason I did that, with some of you I know, look up things in your concordance, and you'll find these words in the back of the concordance that are in Greek. And the references I've given you pertain specifically to the Greek original word. Why is that important? Because sometimes in English we translate two or three different Greek words with the same English word. For example, the word love. When we translate love in the Bible, there are four Greek words that all mean love. There's agape love, which describes the kind of love Jesus had on the cross for us. There's phileo love, which is the brotherly, sisterly, tenderly affection for a good friend, a buddy, you know, that's full of warm fuzzies. There's the eros or erotic kind of love that is not just sexual. We, we tend to associate the word erotic with only sexual things, but the Greeks were able to distinguish warm fuzzies toward their good friend from how much they loved their automobile. They didn't have one, but if they had, it would have been their chariot or their horse or their house. or You know, if they had a love for material possession, it was eros. It was very fleshy, very carnal in its its, uh, connection. And... uh, Then there was a word storge, which is a word that's used for a parent's natural affection for a child. It can even describe an animal's natural care and nurture of its young. For example, a chicken with her chicks. You know, that would be storge kind of love as the nurture and care goes on until they're able to, to do their own thing. And so... The Greeks had four different words. We translate them all love because we don't have those four different words without using a whole sentence of explanation. We just say love and we miss some of that underlying thing. That's why I gave you those words. And um, then the definition in kind of the middle column is the way the Greek lexicon defines the term. What did it mean in the original language? And then the far right column is, how does it look in terms of ministry in the body? And the first gift I want to call to your attention from Romans chapter 12, verse 7, is the gift of service. 
Now, many people think that service, because they hear that word, and they think of waiters and waitresses and bellhops and, you know, because that's, you know, skycap, that's, that's what we call the service industry. But in fact, in the church, the gift of service is one who has a ministry within the body that blesses the body. It originated in Acts chapter 6 when the Hellenistic widows were being neglected in the distribution of benevolent care and the apostles said, we don't have time to sort out all these problems, but we want the congregation to select seven men full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom who will be able to take care of the benevolent ministry and we're going to call them deacons. And that's the word for service, diakonia, deacon or deaconess, and either the feminine or the masculine. And it means the, 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 the care of a ministry. So really, in the church today, someone who has the gift of service in that capacity might be like Ron as leader of Awana. It might be um, Carrie and Reggie as leaders of our youth ministry. It might be leaders in our children ministry. It's people who have the, the ministry within the body that serves the body in a particular capacity. Now, the fact that they chose seven men in the book of Acts that had wisdom and the fullness of the Holy Spirit to oversee the work of, of waiting tables does not mean that those seven people had to take a bag of groceries and physically deliver it to each house where it was needed. They were the ones that had to figure out how it ought to be done. Who ought to get it? How it ought to be handled? But it could very well be that down at the next to the last one, the person with the gift of helps came alongside of them and actually carried the food to the house of the person in need. Because a helper... According to the definition, look at that next to the last one, the antilimpsis. In the Old Testament Psalms, it's the word that is used in the Septuagint when David says, he sustains me with his right hand. The helper is the one who holds you up, who gives you support who comes to your side and sustains you in your work. Because people in leadership, administration, and service, and other capacities may not be able to execute the ministry without help. They need people who will support them in the work they're doing. And those people may not, they're not necessarily the leaders of the work, they're not necessarily the, the thinkers. They don't necessarily have to determine the, the hows and the wherefores. But they come alongside and say, just tell me what to do and I will do it. And they do it with joy. And they do it with a sense of great duty and, and accept responsibility. And they don't try to take charge or take over or, or, or get in the middle of everything. They're there to help the other person get the job done. Obviously, when you just think about how the body is put together, there are 
many people who will be helpers. Many people will have the gift of helps. In fact, if you were to probably chart this out and, and just kind of put it on a graph as to who has the most of what, you might find that in any typical body that the Holy Spirit is in charge of, the majority of gift uh, of gifted people have helps. Because it stands to reason that for, for virtually everything that happens, there may need to be helpers who come alongside and who serve joyfully in that capacity. The gift of teaching is the person who has been given the ability to explain the Word of God to make it clear. You know, I said before, every single one of us has a responsibility to study the Word of God. And we all do. We all have a responsibility to be students of the Scripture. We all ought to memorize the Scripture. We all ought to commit it to our lives. We all ought to make it a study. But you will, you will tell me, I know you will, many of you will say, sometimes I study the Bible and I don't understand what it means. I'm reading it, I'm being diligent, I'm praying, and I don't get it. And somebody else comes along and says, ah, oh, well, if you look at this verse over here and this verse over here, and you kind of put those together, here's kind of how this, this thing fills out, and this is what it means. And then a light bulb comes on in your mind. And you say, ah, oh, that makes sense to me. I've been studying and praying over that, and now I understand it. Why? Because they were able to teach and explain the Scriptures. And now you've got it. I find it interesting in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, when Paul lists the qualifications for elders and deacons, one of the things he says is that elders must be able to teach the Word of God, but deacons must hold the mystery of the faith in all godliness. What's the difference there? Deacons know what they know what they know. But elders can explain and teach the Scriptures in advancement and development as we go along. An elder must be able to teach. A deacon must understand what's taught and be able to hang on to it. The deacon doesn't have to be a teacher. But they do have to understand the mystery of faith. They need to understand the Gospel. They need to be able to talk about the Gospel. But to stand up and expound and explain the Scriptures, that's a requirement of the elder, that they have that gift of teaching. And so there's the difference in that. Exhortation is an interesting word because it's the same word that Jesus used to describe the ministry of the Holy Spirit when he says, I will not leave you alone, but I will send you another comforter. Most people, and I alluded to this earlier today, most people look at exhortation, and they think, that's when i got to give somebody the smackdown. i got to go exhort them. i got to straighten them out. I gotta, I've got to teach them. You know, I've got to fix their problem. There is confrontation with exhortation sometimes. But don't forget that the pre- pre- predominant word is the comforter or the paraclete, one who is called alongside to give wisdom, counsel, and guidance. In other words, in fact, we call our attorneys counselors that comes from this source. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, uh, John says in his first letter, and that's the word again, an advocate with the Father, someone to be there on our behalf. The exhorter is one who can build you up 
maybe by correcting what you're doing wrong, but just as much as if not more, speaking a word into your life that brings encouragement, that, that is just the word you need to get you to move on, that un, unwraps the conundrum for you, the, the, the confusion, the word that, that helps you grow in this moment. And frequently the words that bring you peace from God. And when you have the gift of exhortation, other people recognize it and affirm you by saying, that's just what I needed to hear. That's just what I needed to hear. I've been praying and asking God to give me an answer, and you've said just what I need. That's how you get the affirmation that that may be your gift. You speak to another brother or sister. You sense from God that he has given you something to say, and you say it, and they say, yes, that's what I needed. Well, the gift of giving, that's the one that nobody wants. (laughs) Because you have to give everything away, right? No. No, the person has the gift of giving has an unusual desire to share. They have a superabundant interest in just blessing and meeting needs. It may be money, it may be possessions, it may be their skill, but they're willing to give. They're, they're the ones that, you know, whatever the need is, their heart goes out to it. They're the ones that need to be off the mailing list of all these TV ministries. You know, because they just, they, 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 the letters overwhelm them, they don't know what to do with them. I've known people in my life, and I really think they may have had the gift of giving. They can't throw any of them away. They've got to open them all. They agonize over them. And then I've actually known people that just give like 2 or 3 or $5 to every one of 15 ministries. It's like, come on. <laughs> I understand your heart, but you need a little Holy Spirit wisdom here to go with this, you know. You don't even know anything about some of these ministries. But the need is so great. You know, it's like, well, just okay, but find out what God wants you to do because you can't do it all. But these are people that just want to share. They just can't stand to have a need that goes unmet. Leadership. Now, the word leadership, the the meaning is to take the head, to take the lead. But understand that in the body of Christ, that is always under the head who is Jesus Christ. There is no leader in the body of Christ who supersedes Jesus Christ. Every person operates under him. But there are some people to whom God gives the ability to just rally the troops. They're the ones that can give focus to a situation. They're the ones that can get everybody's attention. They're the ones that can get the group moving in the right direction. They're the ones that can inspire the group to to, to take off and, and head where they need. They're the ones that provide leadership. And it comes in different realms. I mean, you can have many leaders in one church as long as they're all moving in the same direction and they're supporting one another in the goals. You know, you may have a leader of this ministry, a leader of that ministry. Maybe the gift of service, the gift of leadership, or a gift blend that goes together. But the leader is the one who can, who can rally the, the, the focus and get people moving in a particular direction. Along with leadership, uh, there's a gift of administration, and that's down at the bottom of the list. And I just want to tell you that one of the misnomers that people often make is, they assume that all leaders should be administrators. And that's a big mistake. Because many people who are gifted leaders should never be put in charge of the organization. 
of, 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 a, of the organizing of a, of a work because they're not administrators. They don't know how to dot I's and cross T's and insert commas. They don't know how to particularly arrange the parts. They just know how to get the masses moving in the same direction to get the job accomplished. And some, if I've seen anything through the years in ministry, it's that sometimes people who are gifted leaders also think they ought to run all the nuts and bolts of the organization, and they're not equipped to do that. They need administrators and helpers to come alongside them and help to put things in order. You know, I can do administration if I have to and there's nobody else around, but I never do it well, and, and I don't enjoy it. It's not one of those things I like to do. I'm not a detailed person, in case any of you have never noticed that, who've known me for 23 years. If you've never known that I'm not a detailed person, you need to learn that, because it will spare you a lot of anger, anger toward me. You will not be nearly as frustrated when I don't follow through, because I'm not very good at that. You know, I need people around me that can administrate for me and that can kind of shore up the work because that's not what I do well. And other people have those gifts. And so the administrator is the person that can look at the organization and see how it ought to be arranged in distinction from the leader who can get it all going. Now we know the order and the arrangement. Now we can sound the bugle and head off. But then they, they still need those administrators and helpers to, to keep moving the organization with them as it grows and multiplies to, to know how the pieces need to fit. Because otherwise it's going to get bogged down. And finally on this sheet is the gift of mercy. And you know, the, the word about mercy is the person who has the gift of mercy, here's the key. They are interested in how other people feel. They have a heart of compassion toward people who are in trouble, who are hurting. They may be hurting physically. They may be hurting spiritually. They may be hurting emotionally. It doesn't matter how they're hurting. This person who has the gift of mercy cares how they feel. And let me go a step further because this really distinguishes the gift. They don't care how they got there. You know, some people are in a mess because they made it. You know... You're just getting what you deserve. You should have seen that coming. You, you mean you didn't think for a moment when you did that that this was going to be the outcome? Well, you made your bed lie in it. That person doesn't have the gift of mercy. They, they may have other gifts, <laughs> but mercy's not it, you know, because they're looking and saying, you caused your problem, duh. But the person with the gift of mercy says, you know what, I don't care what you did to get there. I just love you, and I'm so sorry. And, and, and I hurt for you. You know, let me give you a hug. Let me bake you a cake. You know, let me take you to, to coffee. Let me do something for you. I just, I hurt for you because you're hurting. Ah, there's mercy. They just respond. Aren't you good? Does God do that to you? Does, does he, when you're in trouble and you've made your own mess, you know, do you ever go to God and, 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 and weep on his lap, so to speak, and sense him saying, well, stupid, you should have known better. I mean, couldn't you see that coming? God has never done that to me. You know, it's, he always says, I, I understand. I, yeah, you made a mess, but I will help you. 
I will help you. I'm here to pick you up. I want you to move on. God is always tender toward me. When I come and admit my wrongs, God never chastises me. When I come and don't have any wisdom at all, God never upbraids me. He meets me. And the person who has mercy is reflecting that part of God's character in mercy toward you. So, does anything resonate with you here this morning? Do you recognize something? Do you like to organize things and get them put together and make them work well? Do you like to oil the machinery and keep all the things moving? You know, you just have a burning desire to explain everything you learn. You just got to explain it, teach it, share it. You know, do you have a tender heart of compassion that reaches out to people who are hurting? Do you want to just give away everything? You know, you, you just you see a need and you just want to meet it. What's going on in your heart? Do you feel compelled when, when there's a situation to step to the front and provide leadership? You know, when, when, the, when the, the walls are caving in and things are falling apart, you're the one that says, let's do this. And, and everybody says, okay. And away they go, you know, because you're the leader. You don't have to be designated. You, it just happens because you have that anointing. What is it that resonates with you here this morning? There's nine more to go, so if you didn't recognize it today, wait a week. But go home and study. Go home and pray over it. Read the materials I've given you. Um, in and amidst everything else that was going on Friday, I wrote them out for you, so don't put them to waste. <laughs> put them to use. Take them home and pray over them so that you can ask God to show you what your ministry is. And then I want to encourage you, when you get in your groups, get in your small groups, get in your Bible studies, get in the small It's hard on Sunday morning because it's intimidating. And, and who wants to be wrong in front of 80 people, you know? But, but get in your small group and, and, and share with them what you feel God is saying to you about your giftedness. And, and ask for the opportunities if they arise. You know, ask for opportunities. You know, now if somebody's crying in the corner in your small group, don't say, you know, I think I have the gift of mercy. I'd like to, to minister to you right now. <laughs> Just go do it. And, and see what happens, you know. But, but share your heart and, and give people an opportunity to give you feedback so you can start to work this out a little bit. And, uh, friends, if someone comes up to you and says, you know what? I think I have the gift of teaching. What do you think? And if you've heard them try to teach and, and they don't make any sense at all, uh, have the grace to say, you know what, I think you need to keep praying. <laughs> you need to keep looking. I mean, don't take it from me. Get some other opinions, but I think you need to keep looking. Be honest about that. You know, one of the things that just kills me is people who think they have the gift of exhortation. They go around challenging everybody, confronting everybody. Okay, I'm giving you permission. We're learning about spiritual gifts right now in church. This is the season. So if you, if you think you have the gift of exhortation, go ask some of the people you've exhorted. Did I help you by what I said the other day? And if they didn't help you, please have the grace to say, No, you hurt my feelings. Good grief. You, you massacred me. I prayed that you'd never come talk to me again. You know, have the grace to say that. They need to hear it. They need to keep praying.
Or they need to figure out how better to say what they're saying. Because they're not doing it right. That's how we help each other. And you can do that in your small groups and in your Bible studies uh, as, you, as you learn and grow. You can, you can. It's not playing. It's praying and prayerfully searching to find the calling that God has placed on your life with the gift he's given. And it's okay to make mistakes. Because that's how we'll grow. And somebody in your group will have the gift of mercy, and they'll, they'll pat you on the back if you err. You know, somebody will do that, and it'll be okay. And uh, somebody else may have a word of knowledge that says, you know what? You think this, but I look into your life, and this is what God says to me about you. I see this in your life. I see this gift. It's like, oh, I never thought of that. Well, go pray over it. See what happens. Father, thank you. For your word to us this morning, continue to teach us, continue to give us understanding, minister to our hearts, that we might effectively minister one to another. We ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.